welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. You may be seated. So I was, uh, last week we were sitting where you're sitting with our grandchildren and uh, Lisa and I were sitting there and, and the grandchildren were not being bad or anything. They're being great. They're just being kids. And I, and I realized uh, Chris was preaching just how little I was paying attention to what he was saying is like, whoa, this is a lot harder than it than I think it is to sit where you're sitting right now. And and so um, that's hard work listening. And I hope I don't make it any harder than it needs to be this morning. Uh, this throughout the uh, Sundays of Easter, we're focusing on the lectionary text from the book of Revelation, all those passages uh, that are going to be in the epistle section of our readings this this season are going to be from Revelation. And Chris did a great job introducing this apocalyptic prophetic letter in last week's sermon. He laid great groundwork. And if you weren't here last Sunday, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it online. Or if you were here sitting with a bunch of grandchildren, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it online. The, the revelation of Jesus Christ to St. John of Patmos was given sometime uh, in the last part of the first century. We're not really sure. Sometime between 65 and 95. That's about, that's, that's as far as I'm going to stake out uh, myself on that one. But it's written in the latter part of the first century. It was written to Christians who faced two perennial obstacles to following Jesus, two perennial obstacles, two challenges to faithfulness that the church has faced in almost every age since that first generation of Christians. Some and probably many of John's readers faced the first obstacle, which was persecution, persecution because of their Christian faith. They faced ridicule and ostracism and exclusion from having a job or making a living or legal censure or imprisonment, physical violence from the mob and and even from the state, and yes, even death. And in the midst of that persecution, Jesus tells his church not to give up and not to give in, but in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So it's written to a persecuted church. But there was a second pressure that is really more applicable to us living in North America today. Although some Christians in the United States and Canada or Canada are experiencing some of the same kinds of persecution that those first century Christians did, the main challenge, the main challenge to Christian faithfulness that we face is being seduced to compromise, to accommodate, to blend in with, to assimilate with a society that is structured in hostility to Jesus Christ and the holiness of God. That was a pressure that was faced in that church, and it's the pressure that we face living in our culture as well. So scholar Richard Balcom notes already in Revelation 2 verse 14, 
the false teachers in the church at Pergamum. Now, where's this coming from? Where's this urge to compromise and accommodate and assimilate and just blend right in and be like the rest of everybody else? Where in the world does that come from? Is that those mean old pagans telling them to do this? No, listen to where it's coming from. It's the false teachers in the church. Hmm, well, that could never happen today. False teachers in the church at Pergamum who are persuading Christians to compromise with paganism are compared, those false teachers are compared with Balaam, writes uh, Richard Balkum, compared with Balaam, the false prophet who was responsible for the seduction of the Israelites into idolatry and sexual immorality, and as a result of which they failed to reach the goal of the Exodus entry into the promised land. And that was the issue in that church, and it's the church's issue today. So in light of these existential threats, accommodation or annihilation, in light of these existential threats, John, after John is instructed by Jesus to write a series of, of seven prophetic messages to seven churches. They're not seven letters. They're prophetic messages to seven churches. The whole book of Revelation is a letter. These seven prophetic messages to seven churches to in what is now modern-day Turkey, after John is instructed to do that, in the light of the existential threats that the church is facing in his day, what is the first thing that the book, this book of Revelation does? It turns to worship. In other words, faced with persecution, faced with the temptation to compromise with the antichrist culture around it, where does God focus our attention through this scripture? He, he focuses us to worship. You know, the English word, that English word worship, we don't think about it very much. It's actually from an, an old, literally old English, not middle English, but an old English word. It's related to the word worthy. And it, it literally means, it's a, it's a, a, a little, um, conjunction basically. It means worthyship. Worthyship. In other words, acknowledging someone's worth. And that idea, here it is, that idea of worth and worship is at the very heart of this chapter, chapter five of the book of Revelation. Now the question of that, at the heart of Revelation five is, who is worthy? Who is worthy? The vision of Revelation 5 is of the throne room of God. In God's right hand is a scroll, completely covered in writing, front and back, sealed with seven seals. The scroll evidently contains God's rescue plan for his good creation in which evil and injustice have created ruin and destruction. And the question is, who deserves, who has the right, who is worthy to take that book and to open that scroll in order to complete God's plan of the judgment of evil and the salvation of the entire universe? Who is worthy? Revelation 5, it says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? Why a mighty angel? Why a loud voice? Because he is crying out to all of creation. He's not whispering it in a corner in heaven. He's, he's crying out so that all of creation can hear the question, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. 
And I, John, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. John is devastated. Is there no one in all of the cosmos that can undo the evil that has taken root in the world? He was told, come up here. You will be shown what must happen shortly. And now it seems that that promise has already been thwarted because nobody is worthy to open the scroll and show him what's about to take place. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. John is told that the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. But when he turns to look at the lion, what does he see? He sees a lamb And it says more literally than what it sounds like. It sounds very, a lamb that was slain. A lamb that was slain. Worthy is a lamb that was slain. A lamb that has been butchered. A lamb that's been slaughtered. He sees a lamb standing as if slaughtered. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Who is worthy? The lion of the tribe of Judah, who is also the lamb who was slain, has conquered. John sees Jesus revealed as a conquering lamb. A lamb with the very attributes and glory of God. He has seven horns. That looks very odd. This is a this is a vision, and John is seeing multi-layered reality. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, sometimes we get a little glimpse into that multi-layered reality. I won't take the hmm, stories. I got stories I want to say, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'll tell you later. Uh, but the, we get the we live in a multi-layer, not a multi-storied. It's all one reality, but there is layers and layers and layers of this reality that we live in. And from time to time, our eyes are open, and we see we see Jesus, who looks like a lamb who was slain with seven horns and seven eyes. Now, what could that possibly mean? Well, in the ancient world, horns were a symbol of power, of authority, and of glory. And in the book of Revelation, the number seven, and this is not like a big secret or anything, the number seven, it it refers to completeness or fullness. So Jesus has complete power, complete authority, and complete glory. We'd call that being omnipotent, wouldn't we? He's got seven eyes. Weird. What does that mean? Well, the eyes of the Lord, which are the seven spirits of God, which, which go to and fro in the earth. Actually, it's a reference back to Old Testament, to the eye of the Lord going throughout the earth, seeing what's going on. In other words, God's knowledge. So he's got seven eyes representing the fullness of knowledge. He knows everything. That's the attribute of omniscience. This lamb has the attributes of Almighty God. And how has the lamb conquered He conquered by being slaughtered. Christians, we need to hide that truth in our heart. 
through weakness, through being humiliated and killed on a cross. That's how he conquered. This is the great mystery, the great truth at the very heart of the Christian story. God saves his broken world, not through a display of force, but through ultimate vulnerability and suffering sacrifice. Our conquering lamb bears the scars of the cross in heaven. Who is worthy? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them by the cross. Who is worthy? the one willing to make himself weak and small and to suffer and be slaughtered like a sacrificial lamb. And that weakness and suffering are central, listen, that weakness and suffering are central to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. He is not worthy in spite of his suffering. He is worthy because of it. He has glory not in spite of his suffering, but because of it. Oh, dear Christian, do you want to know God's glory? Then take your suffering to heaven in prayer and say, set this apart. I'm in the Lamb. Make my suffering like His. In response, in response to this truth, all of creation in response of all of uh, all of creation to the crucified lamb the 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 visible material realm and the spiritual realm that response of all of creation to the crucified lamb is worship the response is worship and in worship please hear this everything point by point that the lamb of god jesus christ everything that jesus christ emptied himself of in order to save us is reinstated in infinite abundance and becomes the course of praise through his incarnation and passion and death please follow this it's going to be bible bible talk Warning. Bible. All right, I'm not doing that again. (laughs) Through his incarnation and his passion and his death, Jesus was powerless. Philippians 2, 7. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was poor, 
2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, his poverty, his poverty, you might become rich. Jesus was considered a fool. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, For the word of the cross is foolishness, foolishness to those who are perishing. Jesus was weak, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was scorned and mocked, Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised. Oh, wait a second. That's Isaiah. That's the Old Testament scriptures. How do you know that that's about Jesus? Well, if you've got a problem with this being about Jesus, you need to go talk to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Because this, so tell me, sir, who does the prophet speak of, himself or someone else? And beginning with that verse, Philip proclaimed Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch on on his chariot riding down the road. Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus was scorned and mocked. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Jesus had no earthly glory. Isaiah 53 verse 2. He had no form or majesty that we should look to look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was cursed. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why did I go through that? Because now listen to the hymn of praise that the lamb gets in response. In verse 11, Revelation chapter 5, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the four living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. He was powerless. To receive wealth, but he was poor. To receive wisdom, he was thought a fool. To receive might, but he was weak. To receive honor, but he was scorned and mocked. To receive glory, but he had no earthly glory. To receive blessing, but he had been cursed. And in infinite abundance, when all of God's rightness is revealed in what he has done through Jesus Christ, He receives power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in infinite abundance. You know, our worship this morning in this building, brothers and sisters, this is not a two-story universe. And we've, we've, you know, we keep coming back to things we've said in the past, but every time we gather here, this is a thin space, heaven and earth overlap. And our worship in this building is directly connected to the heavenly worship. All of our cues for how we acknowledge God's worth in worship are right here in this passage we just heard read. The heavenly congregation worships with their bodies. Some of them are strange bodies. Go read about those four living beings. The four living creatures and the elders fall down before the lamb. We do that. We kneel and bow and raise our hands. You know, on Good Friday, there were people here were praising the worthy lamb that was slain at the foot of the cross right there on their faces in this church. 
falling down before the lamb. It's the same thing. There is incense offered. You know, the really cool thing about this is that the incense there in heaven is the prayer of the saints here on earth. Our earthly worship, our prayer is like an umbilical cord that reaches into heaven's worship. And yeah, we offer incense with our prayers too. We did that in Easter Vigil a few weeks ago. And central to the worship of heaven is music. Verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This worship song is key to the entire project of Christian worship. In fact, there's actually three songs of worship. We've just done two. This is the second one. But there are three songs of worship in this chapter. And I want you to notice, and you can certainly hear it from what we've just been going through, I want you to notice that none of these worship songs in heaven, you know what none of them are about? None of those worship songs are about how anyone is feeling about God or Jesus. None of those worship songs is about how anybody feels about God or Jesus. So much of what passes for contemporary Christian music, and thanks be to God, we do everything we can to eschew that practice here, but so much of what I hear is about how I am feeling about God, and we're calling that worship. But the focus is actually on me. Oh, this is a song about me, feeling like I want to worship because of how I feel right this minute. That'll probably be on K-Love. I don't know. No, I'm not picking on K-Love. It could, I'm sorry. I retract that statement. That is not what is going on in the throne room of heaven. This is a song that is directed to Jesus because of who he is and what he has done. You, Jesus, you, Jesus, are worthy because you were killed and through your death you ransomed people who were captive to sin, death, and hell and made them king, a kingdom of priests for our God. And that ransom was not limited in scope. You redeemed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. So you, you re, re ransomed people and then you did it for all people. And, and then you transformed those ransomed hostages by your blood, not only saved them, but exalted them to be royalty, 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 slaves made royalty. made them rulers on the earth. He's writing that to persecuted Christians, by the way. It's not like in the future. It's like immediately now. You are rulers on the earth. What? You know, if there was a, uh, if there was one, another slogan for the book of Revelation, it could be, open your eyes, Christian. Open your eyes. Look beyond the moment and see what's really going on. Here's the application. What we just said, is that how we evaluate the worship of the church on earth? Would we feel out of place in heaven because of our expectations of what worship is supposed to be? 
Yeah, I was going to go to heaven, but it was just too Catholic. Just too Catholic for me. All those robes, incense, is just I couldn't do it. It's just not me. I, I was going to go to heaven, but it was just way too charismatic. All that shouting and falling down stuff, I, it's just not me. I, I need something that's a little more traditional. Uh, I was going to go to heaven, but I didn't think it was relevant. I didn't get anything out of it. Are we evaluating the church's worship on earth by the eternal and true worship of heaven? Faced with the problems of assimilation and persecution, the answer, the immediate answer of the book of Revelation is worship. Another point of application, if we are in Christ, if we, have indeed, if we are indeed in Christ, if as the Scripture says we have put on Christ in baptism, if as the Scripture says we will indeed be made like Him, that means this, even it means that every loss that you have suffered for following after the Lamb, every loss that you have suffered for following after the Lamb will be reinstated to you just as it was to Jesus in eternal abundance and glory. Everything you thought you were given up is nothing compared to the glory that you will receive in Christ in glory. He was powerless, poor, considered a fool, weak, scorned, mocked, Void of earthly glory, cursed, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and all creation from heaven to earth to under the earth cries out, worthy is the Lamb who is worthy. Brothers and sisters, the good news in this is that we have a Lamb. He has conquered. And if we are in Christ and are made like Christ, then just as our Lamb who is slain, in heaven your scars are your glory. Your scars are your glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 